Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. I got a new microphone. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is uh, Dr. Santos, your neighborhood friendly, very excited pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. And, and Josh bought me a microphone. Happy New Year. <laughs> and yes, Santos got a wonderful Festivus gift. It's Festivus for the rest of us. My voice sounds clearer. But I can't tell because I can't hear myself right now. So I'm taking Josh's word for it. Nobody tell him different. <laughs> so we have been on hiatus for a couple weeks, getting a little bit of tourism in. This week, we figured we would go on tour with the walking dead, the wandering sick, and the roaming ill as we talk about medical tourism. Uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit because most medical tourism is not done for life-threatening purposes, but much more often elective. So I landed on this topic and I requested that we take a look at this because on our wonderful Facebook feed, which yes, I know listeners, I have to be better about updating, a wonderful story came across. Penis whitening. It's a thing now. <laughs> Is this like something you do with Crest or Colgate? Because you're doing it wrong. No, 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 no. There there are no strips for this. <laughs> there's no strips. There's no solution. We're going to be doing this with giant lasers. <laughs> and I just realized air quotes doesn't work over uh, audio. News outlets all over the planet have been focusing on Bangkok, Thailand, because, you know... <laughs> 
<laughs> what a silly city name. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, but uh, the the city name aside, our frequent listeners will remember that this is like penis central. You know, if you need your penis repaired, Bangkok, Thailand. If you need your penis whitened, Bangkok, Thailand. If you dare we say, bang your cock. Well, you're all right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right there. Just drop the pun. You're right there. Just drop the pun. Uh, you will get a bunch of dirty looks from your doctors and nurses because they've heard it a million times that day. I believe the song itself goes, uh, Bangkok, Oriental City, but the city don't know what the city is getting. The chess world, yeah. <laughs> well, in this case, this is not injury to the penis. Uh, if you guys want to hear about broken penis, please go back and listen to that episode. And, um, you know, younger listeners or sensitive listeners, just beware, as per usual. This time, this is Lelux Hospital, which is renowned for body whitening expertise. And it's kind of a sad commentary, but... We see this in India, uh, in my old homeland. We see this in Southeast Asia, where people want to be fair. They want to be lighter in color. And that includes the down below. <laughs> they want to whiten their penis. So they take a giant laser. <laughs> I've got to read this quote from uh, news.com.au from Australia. The procedure, which uses laser whitening, got wide play on Thai television and social media on Thursday after hospital released images of a man undergoing the treatment. They have to use a very small laser <laughs> because, hey, you wouldn't want an overly tanned cock. This does beg the question, couldn't... Presumably, this procedure works on the rest of the body, too. It's not that arbitrarily specific. Are there people... Who are the people out here who just want their genitalia brightened and no other part? No, no, no. no. So, the, <laughs> so there are parts of our bodies, um, especially in darker-skinned individuals, um, that are uh, even... They, they have a higher melanin content. Um, <laughs> this sounds like such an NSFW conversation. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. But if you get, for instance, like under the arms, in the groin area, these areas are hypermelanated. And we can also get like dark spots on our skin. And unfortunately, there are still places in the world where this is not considered to be conventionally pretty and it sucks and it's stupid. But yeah, they'll say that, you know, the rest of me is like fairly light, but boy, I've got a dark crotch. As, as comes up in routine conversation all the time. I personally want to bring it up to the great Stan Lee as the next, you know, like huge Marvel superhero. I think dark crotch uh, would do wonders to the Marvel MCU. I just don't know whether he'd be a villain or a hero. <laughs> oh, He's no. the hero we deserve. <laughs> but not the one we need? Not it either. <laughs> this gentle genitalia fun aside, we are talking about something that is a little more, I, I don't know about a little bit more serious, but certainly becoming much more talked about 
in today's day and age. And that, of course, is medical tourism. And when we say medical tourism, what we're referring to is specifically traveling out of your home state, whether to another state or another country, to undergo a medical procedure. And the reasons as to why people do that vary. Of course, with Thailand, they are known far and wide for being remarkable at genital reassignment and plastic type surgeries related to all things gender reassignment and genitalia. But the practice of traveling for health and medical reasons actually has a long history and even ancient civilizations recognized therapeutic effects of things like thermal springs and temple baths. The roots of medical tourism can be traced all the way back to Greek pilgrims in the small Mediterranean town of Epidoria in the Sardonic Gulf. I'm sorry, Saronic Gulf. So the Saronic Gulf and the town of Epidoria was the sanctuary city of Asclepios, the Greek god of healing, son of Apollo, and holder of a staff with just one snake, not two, wound around it, for those of you who get it, enjoy becoming pedantic as I do. Oh, okay. So this isn't the classic caduceus that we see nowadays. No, no. The caduceus itself is actually the staff of Hermes, the god of merchants, tricksters, and thieves. Uh, The staff of Asclepius is a single snake wound around. You'll often see it on the side of emergency medical services or paramedics, ambulances is the correct staff. So Epidoria was the hometown and patron city of, or sanctuary city of Asclepius. And as such, it had the world's first recorded medical travel destination. People would show up to the temple of Asclepius, which had a number of different services. Um, It focused mostly on a dream temple where Asclepius himself was believed to visit the pilgrims with remedies for different ailments in their dreams. While they were waiting for the god to come and give them the solution to their illness, they could also take advantage of other services such as thermal baths, a gymnasium, and a snake farm. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's really weird to have a gymnasium and thermal baths together, right? (laughs) That's exactly why would you put a thermal bath next to a gym? All you're going to end up is with like herpes gladiatorum. (laughs) A wonderful pun and accurate description. But I know what most of you are thinking is snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Well, Dr. Jones, (laughs) although advanced surgical instruments themselves, such as scalpels and calipers, were found at Epidaurus, some healing methods included things like harmless, non-poisonous snakes were kept in the building and released at night to bestow a divinely curative forked okay. tongue lick or snake massage. In other cases, and I love this one, snakes might have been used, it is hypothesized, yeah. as, as a primitive kind of shock therapy for the mentally ill. They would have crawled in darkness through the maze-like tholos, which is a Greek word for labyrinth, guided by a crack of light towards the middle of the maze where they would find themselves surrounded by writhing reptiles. And as shock therapy goes, well, rousing success. <laughs> I'm sure the uh, the patients walked away so grateful. It reminds me of that old Dimitri Martin bit where, you know, who decided a snake on a stick was the best symbol for the medical profession. Nobody panic. There's some guy running at me with a snake on a stick. One of our favorite uh, other... Uh, comedians Mike Kaplan, 
who said, oh, why do they call it a caduceus? Oh, you know, that's maybe that's the sound that it makes when you hit someone with a snake on a stick. Caduce. <laughs> so this medical resort really expanded around 300 BC as therapeutic Asclepia temples based on the original sprang up all over the realm. And this was carried all throughout the Roman Empire with hot baths, gymnasiums, and temples. For some reason, the snake farm aspect didn't quite maintain the same popularity as the rest of the Young Men's Hippocratic Association. Now, of course, with the ultimate downfall of Roman civilization, and I know I'm skipping ahead a little fast here, then Asia became the prime medical tourism destination for healthcare travelers. Warrior clans in Japan, as well as Ottoman Empire soldiers, and all throughout continued to use these hot baths to alleviate pain, heal wounds, and recuperate from their battles. The Ottomans especially uh, love to get into the water and put their feet up. The bath phase faded from Asia. Medical tourism would pop up again next in <laughs> Europe in the 16th century as the elite rediscovered the ancient Roman and Greek baths when they were perhaps pillaging from those civilizations for the British Museum. This was uh, not quite the Enlightenment, but kind of like the return to the classical period type of thing where they wanted everything to be. Now a village known as Ville de O or town of waters became famous throughout Europe when iron rich hot springs were discovered there. So people like Peter the Great and Victor Hugo would visit these wellness resorts. And this is where we first start seeing the use of the word spa, which comes from the Roman term salud per aqua or health through waters. Oh, it's an acronym. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. So tourist destinations grew up around these spas in places like Bath, Baden-Baden. Baden-Baden, which I believe is stands for uh, bathing, bathing. So these are not, you got to give it to them. Mayors are a lot better at naming towns than scientists are in naming studies. I, I can imagine just the pull of having like a hot spring there. And then the sudden, like, like, like little bit of industries that popped up around it. It's like, I'll have an inn so the tourists can stay. I'll make little wood carvings and call them knickknacks that they can take back home to their little ones. And I'll pickle a jar of eggs. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because we can get these suckers to eat anything if we tell them it's a local delicacy. Make sure you stamp medicinal on it, Bartholomew. Well, in the 1720s, because of all this influx of money from the wellness spas, Bath became the first city in England to receive a covered sewage system and was ahead of London for several years. Roads were paved. Oh, nice sanitary. Yeah, roads were paved, streets had lights, hotels, restaurants sprang up and were beautified, all because of medical tourism. Mineral springs in general were used for the development of spa tourism, and the first national parks in both the UK and US were established around these spas. And in the 19th century, wealthy tuberculosis sufferers from Europe often traveled to and lived in the southwest United States looking for different climate conditions to improve their health, which you could argue is early, you know, lifestyle retirement and second home migration. For the same reasons that everybody here goes to Florida, European people would come to the U.S. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's a little bit of the ancient history. But as we jump forward very rapidly into the modern day, we see that although medical tourism began as a visit these bath waters and healing springs and sanatoriums, really in the modern day and age, things started to shift to more surgical type specialties rather than medical. So as health costs really started to jump significantly in the 1980s and 1990s, perhaps due to Reaganomics, perhaps due to the on rise or to the rise of healthcare management organizations or to something else entirely, people looking for affordable options started considering things offshore. And in fact, the first branch of medicine to really spring up in the modern day and age was the so-called tooth tourism with Americans traveling to Central America, <laughs> countries like Costa Rica for dental bridges and caps not covered by their insurance here. Oh, they had to cross the bridge to get a bridge. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad. <laughs> Although more than likely they took a plane, which is a horrible pun. Do you think if you flew to another country to have your wisdom teeth out, you demonstrated the lack of it to begin with? Aha! <laughs> Let me mull. That's that's that old catch twenty two. Wait, you gotta let me mull over this for a bit. <laughs> oh man, your puns are losing their teeth. <laughs> I am just gumming at straws. It's all bark, no bite. Oh, getting cheeky. Well, the next fact I wanted to tell you, I'm having trouble remembering. It's on the tip of my tongue. Ah, yes. Uh oh. A large percentage of today's medical tourism is still tooth tourism. Uh, travel for dental work <laughs> is as much as 40% of international visits by some of the estimates from sites I looked through. Not every country is equally known. Of course, we mentioned Thailand at the top of this episode. And the reason Thailand is such a medical destination, you know, they didn't just up and decide, hey, turns out we're really good at genitals compared to the rest <laughs> of the world. Although over time, they have definitely leaned in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> How's it hanging? Um, <laughs> well, if you go to Thailand, <laughs> long... Any way you want. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you got it. So back in 1997, Thailand's currency collapsed, and there was a pretty big economic crisis in Asia. At that time, the government directed its tourism officials to market the country as a hot destination for plastic surgery, hoping to boost revenue. So they really poured a lot of extra money into their infrastructure and tried to start pulling in tourist dollars, not only to see the beaches and the shows, but to have things done such as facelifts, tummy tucks, breast implants, and a whole host of other plastic surgeries of which because there was a much more relaxed view towards transgender individuals in Thailand at the time, also became a mecca of sorts for those looking for any kind of genital reconstruction or assignment surgery. Now, Thailand, as a result of this, really became the go-to country for comparatively inexpensive sex change operations, where there were fees as low as $5,000, plus much looser requirements for pre-surgery psychological counseling. Right. So you're talking about whole centers which are dedicated to receiving a patient, making sure that they really want this gender reassignment surgery, which, you know, as we've told people before, Josh, is a process of months to years. 
they may even be able to, if they're willing to stay long enough, get uh, hormone therapy um, where they actually begin to transition biologically from one gender to the other if they wish. And then finally actually have the surgery in the hands of surgeons who, I mean, that's all they do. This is their whole life. As a medical tourist mecca, Bangkok is really well known and Bumrungrad International Hospital has everything boasting patients from over 190 countries and an international patient center that staffs interpreters for over 20 languages and an airline ticket counter. Now, 20 (laughs) different language interpreters may not sound impressive until you realize that most hospitals have to make do with a few nurses who speak whatever the local language is, plus an interpreter phone that is, well, the best parts of being on hold and then talking to a customer service representative in a different country. (laughs) It is tough to find people who can speak, uh, you know, like a plethora of languages. Um, Usually, Josh, I think here in the United States, um, we're very lucky if we have like Spanish to English and that's about it. Um, so they, you know, the, the centers that you're talking about in Thailand, realizing that they were getting patients, not just from the United States, but all over the world. Yeah. And it really brings a new definition to the idea of boutique or customer service medicine, because these are all elective and largely funded out of pocket. They really try to cater and draw your tourist dollars. And there's quite a lot of competition as to what different services are offered. And we're going to get a little bit into those. But first, let's talk about some of the risks and benefits of medical tourism. So again, when we're talking about medical tourism, we're really focusing on things that are performed electively, not at least in general, things like heart transplants or life-saving ones where the resource is so rare it may only be in a country. This is really, I don't want to pay for one reason or another, or I can't afford to pay what's being asked in my place of birth or residence. And so I'm looking abroad to save it. And that is the major benefit is cost. According to data from the Medical Tourism Association, a hip replacement surgery in the United States typically costs around $50,000. That is the surgery itself, plus the required bare minimum of a two to three day stay surrounding the operation and maybe a couple pain pills after. That's not talking about meals and the night, the cost of the hospital bed itself, things like that. But in India, the exact same hip replacement surgery can cost as low as $7,000. Right. And there are similar Uh, costs uh, in South America. You can go to Costa Rica, you can go to Brazil. This is one of these things that, you know, a person has their hip worn out, but they're limping around, but they're not out of it completely, right? So they can go safely fly on a plane, go get their hip replaced, maybe even stay for rehab, get back on a plane and get home for cheaper than it would be to check into a hospital in the United States. Yeah. And you're sitting there and you think to yourself, you're being told perhaps you need a heart bypass surgery. Well, again, the average cost of that in the U.S. is around almost 150000 In Costa Rica, it costs around 25000 So the question really becomes at that point, 
why is this medical care so much lower? Is this truly a deal or is this the kind of bargain like, you know, half price condoms where you're like, well, why am I getting this discount? Yeah, and this is a real fear because I think that um, a lot of the time irrationally we we're human beings and we often think that price or cost equals quality. Right. So that a lot of the time we'll buy like the more expensive television or computer because the price tag is higher because we subconsciously believe it to be better, even though it, you know, there may be no difference between the $5,000 computer and the $500. And there's a lot to be said for just brand name recognition. The U.S. still has maintained a, a reputation for leadership in medical care, at least within sure. certain facets. So the difference, the reason you have lower costs can vary. It can be things such as the cost of labor for hospital construction, government taxes on physicians and other healthcare employees, uh, setting of prices for things like the MRI and, well, even the operating room rental use, malpractice insurance, frequency of malpractice suits. These are all things that factor in and different cultural norms lead to a lot of these costs being lower. Now, that's not to say that corners aren't cut and we will get into that, but the lower cost in and of itself does not necessarily indicate anything sketchy. And in fact, transparency in pricing is the biggest factor in medical tourism. People can budget for their medical needs ahead of time and before the fact, rather than worrying about how to pay for higher than anticipated bills, because the bill for everything, at least in the U.S., is usually combined right. and so no hidden cost several months at the end or immediately following your hospital stay. The counter to that, of course, is that certain things will be nickeled and dimed. In the U.S., it's all given as a packaged care health deal, whereas abroad, you may say, well, we'll perform the surgery, but it'll cost this much extra for rehab. And if you want meals, you know, X time, X number of times a day, or you need somebody to help as an interpreter, each one of these additional services may be tacked on. This all sounds wonderful, but I don't want <laughs> you to think that we are endorsing running off to another country as a solution to all your medical and surgical problems. There is a lot of risks associated with medical tourism as well. And Santosh, why don't you play the bad guy for a while and tell us what some of those are? Oh, <laughs> I would love to. So um, now the one thing that we do have here in the United States, uh, I think that's uh, better than a lot of these tourist destinations. So I'll say the United States, Canada, uh, Western Europe, Australia are just tight regulations on care. So there are restrictions on what physicians and nurses are allowed to do to you, what level of care you're supposed to get and the attention that you're supposed to get, the cleanliness of the hospital and the facilities that you're in, the cleanliness of the OR and all of the equipment that they're using. And uh, as you know, Josh, we get organization after organization coming through our hospital, making sure that we are always up to code. I'm sure that you absolutely loved your last uh, Jayco inspection. I know we hang up tinsel and uh, mistletoe and all that fun stuff. No, you don't. That's um, an infection control the, the risk. Standard 
Oh, that's true. <laughs> the major risk uh, that, of course, I worry about as an infectious disease doctor is infection. It's that we have here in the United States, we always have one measure after the other to make sure that a patient does not become infected by something that is in the hospital. That's called a nosocomial infection. So I don't want to make you more sick by you coming to visit me than if you had just stayed at home. That's the thing, right? So now an example of this might be, I'm sure many of you are at least passing familiar with the phrase deli belly, which of course refers to just the rapid. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The onset of a new environment for your stomach on arriving in India. Well, right. This is not referring to uh, what happens when you go to like Manhattan and you get a pastrami on rye. Uh, down around the corner. This is uh, D-E-L-H-I, Delhi. So arriving in a foreign country is exposure to a whole new set of bugs that the people around you have grown up with and have developed defenses for, but are brand new to you. And that is a risk in and of itself because now you have additional bugs to contend with, especially around the surgical time. That's in addition to the nosocomial infections, healthcare or hospital acquired. For example, if needles are reused between patients or other unsafe injection practices are occurring, such as blood not being properly screened, even things like hepatitis and HIV can be transmitted. There are certain infections which are found endemically in other countries, like a virus called HTLV-1 in Asia and Japan. And either they don't have the ability to screen for these viruses, or they already assume everybody has these viral infections already. These pathogens are not necessarily screened for when you're getting a blood product. If you get a transfusion or a needle stick or something like this, we don't always have, you know, the ability to track down what you got or why, or if you should have the way we do here in the United States. So the, that the rate of those kind of transmitted illnesses are a bit higher in the types of locations that Josh and I are talking about. There's even in transplant tourism in the last 20 years, as it has been better studied, is also been noted to have a higher incidence of tissue rejection 
after the operation, and critical infection complications among transplant medical tourists from outside the country when compared with domestic patients. Not to mention blood supply in these countries comes predominantly from paid donors and may not be adequately screened. Also, <laughs> traveling long distances put you at risk for DVTs, which are clots deep in your legs, as well as pulmonary emboli, which are those same clots when they've gone on a trip of their own for a little bit of tourism and made it to your lungs. The risks of these can be reduced by things like drinking plenty of water, exercising. Right. And especially, Josh, if we're talking about something like replacing a knee or replacing a hip where the risk of this type of clot is even more increased because you have to be immobile, um, you know, following the, the actual surgery because you want the hip to heal or you want the knee to heal. And you've had that limb surgically manipulated. Um, I want to talk, you know, before we move on to other kind of worries about uh, resistant infections, however, that's the big kind of looming problem. And the issue is that all the antibiotics, the excessive antibiotics we have been told to stop using, uh, you know, giving antibiotics for the wrong reasons or giving them for viral infections or just giving them because of we're worried, that is amplified by factors of hundreds to thousands when you're going over to Southeast Asia, Indian subcontinent, um, and to some degree in South America, although it's not as bad. So if you acquire a bacterial infection that, you know, for instance, you're getting your hip replacement and you actually get the infection in your hip, um, or you're, heaven forbid, in your chest after a, uh, a cabbage or a, a coronary artery bypass, you may be in some serious trouble because the bacteria that are over there, because of abuse of antibiotics, are true superbugs. They are resistant to every known antimicrobial that's available on the planet. And kryptonite doesn't help either. No, no. You know, you, you think you can fly and then boom, right back down to earth. So there are a couple different, and you bring up a good point, <laughs> Santosh, in that medical ethics also vary widely between countries. Not that in one country they're thinking, hey, you know, kidneys from a bathtub are perfectly okay and another they're not. But therapies considered experimental in one country, like stem cell therapy, can be very commonly used in private care institutions in other countries. And there may be looser standards on things like who can donate organs or blood or what therapies are permitted and how to handle them. Right. For example, hey, Josh, if you uh, are looking, I know a place where you might be able to get a head transplant. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't mentioned good old Sergio Canavero in a while, have we? We have not. He's still trying to find a place where he can uh, ethically, within the bounds of that particular country, perform his very experimental procedure uh, without being thrown in jail forever. Let's just not get ahead of ourselves. But let's talk about a few things that future medical tourists should know or might not think to ask before going on a trip. So the are we talking about tourists 
from the future. That or Taurus considering traveling in the future. Oh, that's a lot less sci-fi. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. So the first thing you want to know as you're doing your research is, is the clinic accredited by any medical tourism association? So the biggest one is the Joint Commission or the Joint Commission International, and they're the major accreditation body. So any international hospital that is recognized by the JCI has had to meet and continue to maintain a minimum standard of care for patients. And they try and make these universal across the globe. And it will be prominently displayed on the clinic or hospital's website. So you can check to see if a hospital is accredited. The next thing is when it comes to talking about your upcoming procedure, you should coordinate with your primary care doctor. And you want to know, are you getting informed consent from your hospital or clinic of destination? And how long are you going to be there? That could make a big difference when planning your trip. So in the context of medical tourism, informed consent can be influenced by things such as ambiguous or incomplete information about what to expect from the procedure on websites, problems in obtaining hospital and individual surgeon success rates and quality of care, and even a language barrier. So for those of you unclear, the average time a patient spends overseas for most of the more commonly practiced elective procedures averages about 14 to 17 days, and that includes the average three to five day hospital stay. But this could be extended much longer depending on the outcome of the treatment. So don't go alone. Bring a friend or a family member, or as we like to call them here on the Travel Medicine Podcast, an accountability buddy. Accountability buddies are absolutely here. What we're doing right now, guys, when you're when you're putting together a medical tourism visit, is you're putting together kind of a little circle of trust an outside group making sure that the hospital or clinic that you're about to visit is kind of good to go, clean, is practicing good care. And then you've got your primary care doctor speaking to their surgeons or physicians saying, hey, you know who you're going to operate on. You know what the procedure is going to be. You're only going to do this procedure and you're going to keep everybody in the loop so that when this person comes back to their home country, uh, we can continue to care for them and continue to make them better. You're not just like running off into the woods trying to find, you know, uh, the will of the wisp. <laughs> Unless, know? of course, you're using the will of the wisp clinic in the woods. Oh, and that's, that's and that's question. over the river and through the woods. It's right down the road from grandmother's house. <laughs> It's it's really good if you've got like, you know, a magical curse or something that you need to dispel. But for most other mundane, non-magical ailments, you want to make sure that you have a lot of peripheral support. Make sure that you or your accountability buddy has a written agreement with the healthcare facility or group arranging the trip that defines what kind of treatments, supplies, and care are covered by the costs. You would hate to find out that you've paid only to have your leg chopped off, but not your new one reattached, or that you're going to have, you know, that leg lengthening surgery, but they're only doing it to one side or some <laughs> other equally ridiculous complaint that I could make up. I do want to add here, if you don't go through an agency and make sure you have all your papers in order, 
And this means, you know, documentation for any medication that you're taking, notes from your doctor saying that you have certain restrictions, uh, either with mobility or needing help on and off the plane. I think the big one, Josh, is that, you know, if you're coming back with like metal in your hip, <laughs> that when you go through those uh, scanners on the way back in or on the way out of the country, that you have documentation saying, it's my hip, I swear. It doesn't hurt to have a visa and passport <laughs> as well. For <laughs> Yes, this isn't... And, and yeah. as long as we're going over things that shouldn't need to be said, but we're going to say yeah. them anyway... Remember that the primary reason for your trip is a medical procedure. Right. <laughs> so don't say, hey, I'm going out to Thailand to, I don't know, have my penis whitened and then expect to lay on the beach tanning your newly whitened Aha. member. Because <laughs> things like prolonged exposure to the sun can darken surgical scars. The hotel pool or ocean that you may want to go swimming in now that you've finally gotten that surgery out of the way can open you up to a variety of infections in any area that required stitches or sutures. Uh, alcohol at that local bar in the expat region can have a negative impact on a huge range of painkillers and perioperative antibiotics. Oh yes, tainted love. <laughs> so surgery is a serious business and make sure you prioritize your healing to minimize the risk of infections and complications. And if you really want to experience the country in which your procedure is taking place, try to do so either beforehand or think of activities that allow you to participate, giving your body the time it needs to heal. The next thing you may want to know is, will your insurance cover it? As I said, most of this tends to be paid out of pocket, and the transparency and pricing is really helpful for that. But more and more insurance companies are actually getting on board with the idea of outsourcing your health. <laughs> and a couple examples. In 2007, U.S. insurer Aetna saw medical tourism as an emerging trend, and they partnered with Singapore hospitals for certain expensive procedures, and I believe still have some of those partners. Uh, Hannaford, a grocery chain in New England, used this insurer to offer their employees the option of traveling to Singapore for hip and knee replacement. Uh, Florida's United Group program has special packages for surgeries and other medical tourism services in Thailand hospitals. Penis whitening may be among them. I don't know. I just think it's a really fun callback. Um, WellPoint introduced a program in 2010 in which its members can carry out certain procedures in India and in the European Union Travelers, as long as they have their European health insurance card, can be covered by their home insurance in any EU country. The Travel Medicine Podcast does not endorse any of these hospitals or programs. They just happened to come up as reliable data points while I was doing my research. Please consult your medical official or expert before following any advice you receive from two guys who like to make penis jokes on the net. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, uh, before we leave the uh, penis jokes alone, Josh, uh, we should always, uh, you know, compliment the other side. Same hospital that I referenced before and doing the penis whitening with a very small laser. <laughs> hey, hey, it's not the size of the laser that counts. It's Santosh. how white it can get your penis. 
Uh, so they're, uh, they're actually, uh, touting another cosmetic procedure called 3D vagina, <laughs> which I already thought it was a three dimensional. <laughs> what are the rest of them currently? I guess they're flat, <laughs> but they take, uh, they do a little bit of liposuction and they take the body fat and make the external genitalia on a female more plump like a pop-up <laughs> uh, book? more like uh you know kind of like the rising part of the souffle we're gonna get in a lot of trouble for this episode <laughs> this aren't we? Is, um, those of you who listen at work uh i'm so sorry but i hope you have your headphones on <laughs> Uh, I just, I, this is what people well. go for. I mean, yeah, we have all like the knee replacements and the heart attack stuff and all that, but you can also plump. Well, let's, let's kind of close out and with talking about what are some popular destinations for medical tourism. We've spoken a lot about how to protect yourself and why people choose to do it. But once they do decide to go, where are people going? We mentioned most of the common reasons are for cosmetic surgery, a lot of tooth tourism, organ transplants, orthopedic, reproductive, and weight loss surgery. Some of the top destination countries in 2000 or as of 2016, in no particular order, include Brazil, Costa Rica, Malaysia, Korea, India, Singapore, Taiwan, Thailand, and surprisingly, Turkey. That one came out of nowhere. And that's also another thing to keep in mind with any tourism, medical or otherwise, check both your local travel advisory as well as any CDC warnings. You don't want to go somewhere to get your knee replaced (laughs) only to find out that there's an Ebola outbreak. A couple of the countries that we can cover, India, the medical costs, savings of having operation and treatment in India are among the best in the world with fees between a third or a 10% of the equivalent procedure in the U.S. A lot of doctors are trained abroad in U.S. medical schools, and hospitals that attract international patients are on par with those in the West, with the majority of staff being proficient in English. Um, India does have a lot of rich cultural sites that attract tourists, the Taj Mahal, the Taj Mahal... uh, (laughs) <laughs> We've got the Red Gate in New Delhi. <laughs> Lord Almighty. You've got the gardens in Bangalore. You've got beautiful mountains to the north. You've got the beaches in Goa. You racist big dog. I was also <laughs> going to comment on some of the lovely features of the Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal for like two seconds. <laughs> So although India does have a rich legacy of many cultural sites, it's really not practical to enjoy some of these during the recovery (laughs) phase. And if you do venture out of a sterile hospital environment, expect to be exposed to bacteria within approximately 10 seconds that will cause upset stomach or worse. India also gets extremely hot in the summer months with temperatures reaching as high as 40 degrees Celsius or 100 to 102 Fahrenheit. Your malaria prophylaxis may be a little bit different if you're going to be in the hospital. One would hope that not too many mosquitoes are getting in, but they will still be around. So what about another destination? Thailand, 
We've already talked about their area of expertise, but the cost of a flight ticket, food and accommodation, and the procedure itself can add up to less than half to 40% of the price of the same procedure in North America. Uh, thrown in with the fact that Thailand has a bunch to offer as a regular tourist spot, such as great Thai food and the Mekong River. <laughs> You're being so bad right now. We have four seasons of episodes where we were lauding the tourist destinations in these places. Come on, can you be... <laughs> It's true. There is there is the Medical Pathology Museum. There is Lumpini <laughs> Stadium where you can watch uh, blood sport galore. There's a lot of great things to visit. The floating markets and <laughs> no, no, I'm just sitting here trying very, very hard not to transmit the grinding of my teeth over this microphone and googling sites where I can get my molars re-enameled. Thailand as well. Weather should be a huge factor. You don't want to get caught in the rainy season. You also don't want to be stuck in a sweltering, non-air-conditioned room while trying to recover from a surgery. If you are looking for something a little more upscale, uh, Singapore has become a very popular destination for many orthopedic procedures as well as gastric right. bypass as their reputation for spotlessness extends to its medical facilities and standards of hygiene are pretty much as high as they can go. Uh, treatment in Singapore tends to be more expensive than Thailand or India, but the procedures themselves still cost only a little more than half, uh, half to 65% of what they would in the U.S. So <laughs> while it's significantly cheaper than the U.S., it's more expensive than other Asian countries with reputations as medical tourism destinations. However, Singapore has... Sites to see such as the Singapore Zoo. <laughs> I'm going to reach through this microphone and strangle you. I swear to God. <laughs> you. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> you can't do this with every single bullet point of our script. I swear to God. <laughs> it isn't even written in here. He's doing this off the cuff. <laughs> There's also a delicious food stand where you can obtain Hainan chicken as seen on Anthony Bourdain's. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one food stand in all of Singapore. <laughs> oh, goddamn you to hell. <laughs> it's the only one, but it's doing a brisk business. Teasing aside, all of these countries have a number of wonderful museum and tourist destinations that are appropriate both for the active traveler as well as for those recovering from any procedure. There are a lot of benefits to going abroad and getting your medicine and surgery while traveling, most of which have to do with the cost. But please take the time to be informed. Check out some of the resources we provide in the links below. And if you've ever had this kind of experience or looking for more answers about it, please do the research and don't hesitate to leave a question yeah, or comment uh, with us Josh, on the Facebook I page. Like, I would like to talk about tourism to the West. Um, you know, sometimes from outside of these kind of designated areas. We, in fact, here in the United States, get a ton of visitors. Josh, in 2012, 
Um, we got 800,000 international patients flying here to the United States to seek care. Um, that's because just like everything that we mentioned, so we mentioned, you know, Thailand is kind of specialist for, you know, transgender care. The United States has its specialties too. And a lot of it are things like repairing, um, you know, congenital heart diseases in pediatric patients. Transplant, uh, we're really, really good at. And so we actually would like to say welcome to all the patients who come here to the United States from all over. Yeah, and here we have a number of exciting tourist destinations throughout the United States, such as... (laughs) (laughs) Fuck me! Piece of money! Like the Grand Canyon and the Grand Canyon. (laughs) 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 I'm gonna get. I'm gonna let you get away. Also, uh, Disneyland are from popular. Medical system in Miami (laughs) called Jackson International. Uh, which is a fantastic program. Uh, and yeah, they, they do have like a concierge type process for patients who can pay a little bit more, but it's really wonderful that there are a lot of physicians and uh, healthcare systems that are also taking care of those who cannot find the type of care that they need in their home country, perhaps because of resources or lack of uh, properly trained physicians or surgeons. Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. And I, I think that pretty much concludes everything we have to say about medical-based tourism. So... Yeah, and people, could you please stay medical as in, you know, talk to your physician and make sure this is a legit procedure because otherwise, uh, you know, we're going to have to fetch you out of the Philippines' Cebu City Zoo where you can still, yes, get a snake massage. The Philippines also has delightful restaurants, such as Dolly Bee, where you can chow down on <laughs> Josh, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to remember this moment 10 years from In the Philippines, the, the <laughs> massage experts, right? The, the snakes, right? Before they massage you, they are fed 10 chickens before they're put to task slithering all over you to make sure that they don't eat their patients. <laughs> um, so please, ladies and gents, uh, stick to evidence-based and uh, you know proven therapies before you go off on your jaunts. Because the last thing you want to have is regret for making a Djibouti call. Aha! <laughs> Cheers to all of our listeners in Djibouti. Where there is a fascinating <laughs> tourist attraction. I can't believe you did that. Till the very last second. <laughs> so that's it for this week. The As always, we love to hear I'm your kidding. comments, questions, and feedback. The show is produced by me with a lot of help. <laughs> from all of the travel medicine co-hosts and researchers. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. 
and, and if you would like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, you can find links to do that in the show notes. Until next time, as always, guys, happy travels. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.